So, uh, you heard what happened? No. Uh, with uh, uh, whom? <laughs> that was a quick no of denial. Uh, good. <laughs> so, um, do you know the holodeck? Uh, which one? Uh, free. That's the clean one. Right, yeah. Um, apparently, if you don't program it carefully enough, it could create sentient life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you say life... Like a fully thinking, functioning, not breathing, but simulating breathing, being. Right. Well, she won't be doing a lot of breathing. No, I know. But- I mean, I've got a 19-year-old Jennifer Garner I've got to let out of a cage. Uh, but beyond no, that, I think I've- I'm okay. How do we turn... Can we turn that setting off? Uh, no, do you know what? Don't, I, don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> if anything, it adds to it. Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of Mark and Ellie. Our ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. So do we do, fuck it, Captain Slog, Stardate, whatever. (laughs) We're doing Elementary, my dear Data. It's one of the best fucking Star Trek episodes ever. Yeah. Genuinely, and it's in this early in season two. But before we do that, Mark, how you been? Uh, yeah. Uh, I am uh, going to New York for a holiday in a couple of weeks. Nice. Uh, and uh, that's going to be real nice. I'm going to wander around by myself. I also have some people to meet, uh, some some partners in pints uh, that I've... <laughs> My fiance's cousin, I think. Okay. Who's my point of reference in the U.S.? Because you have to do that when you, when you're going to the U.S. If the, if you're from the U.S., right? Obviously, you've never had to fill out a visa waiver for the U.S. Unless oh, you're God. not white, in which case I imagine <laughs> someone has probably tried to get you to fill one out by mistake. Um, and you have to put down where you're staying and the US and a point of contact and there's no way to get around that you have to pick a point of contact and you have to know their address and phone number now obviously not everyone's going to have one so I wonder how many people that like I wonder how often it's three in the morning and Danny DeVito is lying in bed and (laughs) uh, he gets a phone call it's just hey we've got this uh, Finnish guy here that's just landed at JFK, and uh, there's some discrepancies in his story. He's put you down as a point of contact, Mister DeVito. Could you, could you tell us how you know this guy? Because as we all know, Danny DeVito's phone number is is online. Like if you if you Google Danny DeVito phone number, you'll find it. And the thing is, he answers the phone every time. <laughs> Try it. He's he's a good man. 
He's he's done that specifically. He's a top lad. He really hates he hates border control of any sort. It's just a philosophical point he's got. That's it. Danny. That's what. Yeah, because when they're like, "Can you tell us more about him?" Danny's like, "Well, I first met this guy uh, when I was on a skiing trip. Basically, he creates this improv story." Yeah, but but Danny fresh. is so good at acting <laughs> that all he needs to hear is the tiniest amount of details. Like for example, this guy is Finnish. And he puts together a story that's so complex and yet so simple that when the border control officer goes back to the prison cell that the Finnish guy has been held in, he will be the Finnish guy who, again, has only spoken to Danny DeVito very briefly on the phone for half an hour, as we all have. <laughs> He'll be able to figure out, right, I, I can get inside that guy's head. I know what the story is. I, we didn't even need to corroborate this. I've just figured it out. We met on a skiing trip. Yeah, if you can't yes and your way through international customs with Danny DeVito as an improv partner, do you deserve to travel? <laughs> and something else I need to bring up, by the way, uh, uh, to if anybody who's American border control is listening to this, I understand where your belief that every single person who comes to the border is trying to secretly live in America comes from. I yeah. get culturally and socially, I understand that you've been told from a very early age that everybody wants to live in America. But I just need to let you know that doesn't apply to anyone from Western Europe. Right? <laughs> we're all standing there at, we're all standing there at customs being like, you're like giving us the stink eye, being like, Oh yeah, do you want to live in New York? And it's like, well I want to visit, but it's not fucking it's not the Netherlands. Yeah. It's not it's not top of my list. This would be one of the scandal and yeah, if I go to the Netherlands they're like, oh, you uh, hear the smoke weed? Just come in. Have a great time. It'd be cool and groovy. Uh... Ironically, <laughs> I have a layover in Amsterdam on the way back. Um, and it's it's like a, it's like an eight-hour thing. Although I have to figure out uh, whether I need to get a visa uh, or like a like an Esther-style thing for the, for the for the EU. I'm not really sure how that works. Um, yeah. I, did, I didn't look into it, much like all the fucking Brexit voters uh, when that... <laughs> was put up on a for a for a referendum um yeah I, I i i foolishly assumed that i didn't live in a country of idiots and it would never be a thing i needed to look up yeah uh, but, there you but go. fuck it yeah. mm. um how, how you doing uh yeah yeah i'm doing all right um i'm back at work for the first time in in eight weeks my oh. dog is not pleased um <laughs> she was under the impression that me being sat on the sofa playing with her uh, stroking her for all full time was like a full time arrangement going forward it's not helped by the fact that um, my girlfriend's been travelling a lot recently for work so um, she's been to uh, she's been to uh, New York uh, she's been to uh, somewhere in like Spain uh, I think she's got Utrecht coming up uh, she's got Boston coming up this week she's in the blistering sunshine of Reading uh, so my dog's been dealing with like being woken up, taken for a walk, and then just kind of being left. So the the, the room that I I work in is also the room that we had to put the cat's food in and the litter tray in to keep them away from the dog. Um, but what that means is I can only allow the dog in here if the dog is going to sit near me and be calm. And if the dog does that, she can hang out with me. But the yep. moment half my day is her trying to stop her from just getting to the cat food. She has to go back out, and she's had one of those days. So she's been very moody uh, with me. Yeah, I know but... the feeling, me. I have that with Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, fortunately, fortunately, she's exhausted. Straight in that cat food, mate. <laughs> if I don't, honestly. So if I leave the right. tumble dryer door open from the outside, she's straight out, straight into the cat food. Right. I've got to tell you something about my dog, Mark, though, which I think you will fucking love as a character trait. My dog loves to run around and like race other dogs, like in big circles. <laughs> But only if she's the fastest dog. Yeah. So she'll regularly go up to like whippets and be like, oh, we can have a run round. Do you want to have a run round? And then the whippet will run and my dog will go no further than two meters. Yeah. Stop and then just sit down. However, there is a whippet puppy that she can outrun that we occasionally <laughs> run into over the park. And when she's there, I know I'm sorted for the evening. Yeah. Because my dog will run around until she cannot fucking stand and I have to carry her home. And she's run into her, and I, I am. There is going to be a heartbreaking day when that whippet becomes tall enough that it can outrun my dog. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, I empathise. Uh, that's basically how I treat video games. Because uh, Laura was away for a, a Hindu, and I decided to treat myself uh, to binge watching Band of Brothers, <laughs> and uh, I cried, and it's really sad. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? World War Two, great aesthetic. So uh, I remember I got the Call of Duty World War Two game um, recently because I, I think it was free on PlayStation Plus, uh, and I, I downloaded it and I, I was playing it. And I was like, "Yeah, this is real fun." Although I did, I played it on easy mode because fuck it, I'm I'm not going to play a game if it's hard. Uh, what? Why would I do that? I I already have a no. That's not true. No, nothing in my life is difficult in any way whatsoever. <laughs> And I like to keep it that way in my leisure time, thank you very much. So I've now um, completed most of that game, and then I thought, as a nice little, uh, like, full stop to my brief obsession uh, with World of War Two, I would watch The Pacific, which uh, is much more... It's not as good as Band of Brothers. It's not as good, it's also more brutal. And there's a lot of battlefield, there's a lot of people getting killed. And I remember thinking... Quick and interesting point about The Pacific. Oh, yeah. Eugene Sledge, mm. the redhead, the the ginger, the lead character. Joe Mazzello. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what other famous role he he has? He's the wee boy from Jurassic Park. Yeah, he is. He's the fucking wee boy from Jurassic Park. I can I tell because fucking... he's got the same face. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm just watching the battlefield scenes, man, and people are getting taken out by the Japanese. And I'm just like, these guys are fucking idiots, man. I didn't get killed once at all during that campaign <laughs> that I played on my Xbox. Well, I mean, in fairness, neither did any of the main characters. Uh, they all... Uh, I, I think most of the main characters... All of the main characters made it to the end of the Pacific. No. Uh, Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is, there is, there is, there is one, there is one episode... character is character who survives until the end. Everybody else is a supporting member. I, a- that, that's a terrible thing to say about everyone who lost their lives in World War Two. Thank you for being supporting players in the story of this war. <laughs> Especially in the Pacific Theatre, one of the most brutal wars uh, imaginable. But the no, there's there's one character that they, they devote an entire episode uh, to, and everything is working out real well for him. He's a gunnery sergeant at a camp. And uh, the right type of camp. Uh, it's featured in a World War Two uh, action. Thing. No, that's a fucking cut that joke out. Um, that was half baked. <laughs> nope. uh, and uh, he um, and he gets married to like some hottie, 
And then yeah. uh, goes to goes to Iwo Jima and uh, doesn't make it out that episode. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. Anyway, anyway, that's that's speaking of uh, speaking of hard hitting drama. <laughs> uh, elementary, my dear data. I I I'd forgotten how much I love this episode because I've I've this is one of the episodes I have a clear memory of for those who don't know this is the episode where Geordie misspeaks a single sentence and accidentally <laughs> gives birth to one of Star Trek's most terrifying villains uh, yeah so they set up for the right so here's here's the set of the episode so uh the they're waiting on another ship coming to get them. So yeah, they have a couple of days three off. days early to meet the, the victory. So they, they've they got essentially some shore leave. And Jordy decides to treat Data uh, by going down to the holodeck and they do like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. But the only thing yeah. is Data, because of how he is and how he works, he knows the answers to all... He knows the solutions to all the mysteries. He knows who done them all. So there's there's yeah. no there's no challenge for him. He just solves it immediately, um, and Jordy's not too happy with this. And then Pulaski comes in and she gets real uh, terfy about it. Yeah. And so Jordy then decides, wait a minute, wouldn't it be interesting if we ask the computer to write its own Sherlock Holmes mystery, but a brand new one, which yeah, by the way almost ironically got them in trouble in real life uh, with the actual rights holders of Sherlock Holmes who they there's did a, not think there's, existed there's an interesting thing about the rights of Sherlock Holmes I'm going to bring up a little bit later which yeah. is very fascinating and the way that Jordy puts it is that I want you to write a Sherlock Holmes mystery with an adversary that will rival data yeah and so <laughs> the computer in its classic murderous way <laughs> builds yeah. a positronic brained version of Professor Moriarty inside of the holodeck yeah who, who more or less instantly manages to work out that one he is a holographic character two that he can access the computer and three that the enterprise exists <laughs> <laughs> yep and he's yeah. not too happy, really, about any of that. Yeah, he's and and rightly so. Um, yeah. So the interesting thing about the rights to Sherlock Holmes is, um, so the most of the Sherlock Holmes books and stories are out of copyright, except for some of the very last ones that were written mm-hmm. in the early um, Sherlock Holmes stories. Sherlock Holmes is a classic misogynist. In the later, very later ones, um, his approach to women had somewhat softened. As a result of that, the Netflix movie Enola Holmes <laughs> yeah. has a uh, Henry Cavill playing Sherlock, and he's not a misogynist. And those, uh, he's quite nice to uh, Enola. And the owners of the rights have tried to argue in court that that means that he's clearly the Sherlock Holmes from the later stories, which means that that is a breach of copyright. Yeah, <laughs> I. <laughs> I have I have mixed feelings about intellectual property, um, because I, I mean I'm I do I do think it is a proper thing. I, I do think it it, it does. I, I I think it's a bit um, exaggerated, and and a lot of that 
I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely know that copyright law has been changed in the last century several times by the Walt Disney Corporation, who do (laughs) not want to lose the rights to Mickey Mouse, because based on the old laws, it was the death of the author plus, was it 70 years? Yeah. Um, But they have actually, Disney have gone in to change this to make sure that they always own Mickey Mouse. That's why, and this is not a tinfoil hat theory, this is actual documented legal precedent that's why over the last few years you have seen the resurgence of the steamboat willy version of mickey mouse yep so they claim it's an active copyright uh, active trademark because because so what was happening was disney was waiting every 10 years or so until like they'd go every 10 years or so disney would put a bunch of money into lobbying to get copyright extended by another 10 years and then very cleverly and a very weird moment of absolute genius there was a person who realised this was wrong yeah. which was Sonny Bono who was yeah. a congressman <laughs> and he clocked that this was wrong so in like the halfway, he waited five years until, uh, until five years after Disney had done this one, they weren't paying attention and he put a bill through Congress which they didn't spot was happening where he basically got them to not be allowed to do that anymore but the funny thing is, it's like you say, like it's protected under trademark law. Like, like, and I, the thing about it is, for a, in a certain way, I understand it. But equally, as somebody who was a fan of the original fucking Star Wars movies, how much better would it have been if after Star Wars came out, other people could make Star Wars stuff, and I didn't have to sit through the prequels? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the weird thing is, there is a case of that happening uh, with George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Uh, so, did you know this? I know there's some stuff about it. I, re- I read it a while ago. So basically, someone fucked up the uh, application process for like the copyright on the movie Night of the Living Dead, meaning that it is technically in the public domain. So oh, yeah. anyone can remake Night of the Living Dead, or anyone can make a movie. Right. Called Night of the Living Dead. They can make a movie called Night, but they can also make a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, which is where the Return of the Living Dead franchise came from. Yeah, and it's why the Romero line movies are of the dead, not of the living dead. And it's where you get into some really interesting stuff, like the movie Zombie Two. Yeah. In in Western markets, the movie Zombie Two in Italy is Zombie Three because Dawn of the Dead is Zombie One. Yeah. It's yeah, but. We've got enough topic. We really have. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not even an episode that we're not wanting to chat about. Yeah. Um, okay. So, first thing I want to talk about um, the actor Daniel Davis, who plays Moriarty, is fucking phenomenal. Brilliant. Yeah. I, Absolutely I really, yeah. brilliant. It's the, it's the concept of, and I was thinking about this, right? Is there a single fictional character that you would like to basically gain sentience? And interface with the computer from Star Trek less than Moriarty. And the only thing I can think of that would have been worse would have been if Data was really into Batman. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, it's the Joker. We can't reason with him at all. He's already killed Pulaski. He's wearing a skin. Uh (laughs) uh, Or or what about if uh, the version of Riker that exists within the episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation that Riker watches every week. And, and, how, and, and he decided he wanted to be a real boy. How, of all of the, of all of the officers 
on the bridge of the Enterprise. You you, you sat there, and um, like they, when they, what I love is the explanation where when they realise what's going on because Moriarty gives Data a drawing he's done of the Enterprise, and he leaves with it and he goes and shows it to the the captain and the rest of the crew and like Geordie by the way who's only three weeks into his job as chief engineer just let chaos loose on an <laughs> infinite scale um, and they, they uh, Picard swears in French says murd yeah. all of the people sat in that room have just found out that the holodeck can create sentient life is there anyone around that table who's panicking more about that revelation than Riker <laughs> have you any idea how much holographic child support Riker could be on <laughs> That's alright, you only have to pay it in holographic money. <laughs> You'll be fine. He just he just walks in, he has a he has a programme that he calls um Riker Alimony One. <laughs> and he and he walks in and it's a boardroom. Uh with, and it's the longest the longest boardroom table in history, right? Um, it actually it actually has to get wider at the end. Uh, so that you don't lose sight of it, right? It's so long. It actually goes over the horizon. And Riker, once a week, as his regimen, like as his his exercise, as his prescribed exercise, he gets um, a fat stack of hundreds, right, that's about this size, and then he starts on the left-hand side of the table and he literally just makes it rain as he runs... (laughs) He runs along a table that's about eight, eight miles long, and then at the end, he turns around and then comes back and he just keeps doing it. He's lucky capitalism's dead, because otherwise that level of in-game currency would definitely be a microtransaction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, um, speaking, of, speaking of the bit of paper, so Moriarty figures out that he is on the Enterprise and he hands yeah. Data a drawing of the Enterprise based on what he's figured out from talking to the computer. Yeah. Then in the corridor later, Data hands that bit of paper to Jordi, who goes, "Oh my god!" and then turns it to show us the audience. And Laura immediately paused the episode and went, "Hold on a minute. <laughs> For that to have worked, <laughs> Data would have to have given Jordi that drawing upside down." <laughs> <laughs> and it but just it's... made me wonder: Is that what his visor does? Does he have to be? Well, does he that, have that's to the at... thing. That's the thing. It doesn't matter which way up. <laughs> he hands it to him. He can't see. The visor does nothing. He hands it to him. Jordy was playing along and went, "Oh my god, I'm not going to say out loud what this is, Data. We both know, but let's go tell some other people." Yeah. Uh- <laughs> right. I'm going to I'm going to tell you something here because it, it it concerns that bit of paper. Yeah. Um, and it it does a the it is a spoiler warning for the ending of this. Why the fuck are you listening to this if you're like, oh, I'll watch this episode later? So at the end of the episode, Picard, in classic Picard fashion, has a conversation with Moriarty and says yeah, yeah we recognise that you are a sentient being, we will do our best to to figure out how to like how to keep your whatever, for, right? Uh, spoiler alert for the future of TNG, what he means by we will do the best to keep you alive is they will turn him off, keep his file on the computer and forget he exists <laughs> <laughs> So the original ending filmed uh, was cut from the episode recalls Morris Hurley, who was a janitor. In that ending, (laughs) Picard knew how to defeat Moriarty. He tricked him. He knew all along that Moriarty could leave the holodeck whenever he wanted to, and he knew because when Data came out and showed him a drawing of the Enterprise, 
if that piece of paper could leave the holodeck, that means the mortality failsafe, which we'll get back to, had broken yeah. down. In turn, this means that the matter-energy converter which creates the holodeck now allowed matter to leave the holodeck, which was up to that point impossible. When he knew that paper had left the holodeck, he knew Moriarty could as well, so he lied to him. But but we've already had a snowball hit Picard, and yeah. we've established in season one that like small nearby things are made using replicator technology inside. So that's horseshit. Yeah. This is yet another instalment of our regular feature, Mark, of that cannot be and is not how the holodeck functions. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Either nothing can leave, or it makes props that can leave. I, but it can't make life. It, Look, it's, at, at what point does Picard go, this thing is like more hassle than it's worth? Like, it's constantly it, trying to murder us. Here's a, here's an, a genuine thing I have because I, as I, I say, like I'm, I'm I'm not joking around when I say like he's kind of basically they say if we turn off your program you won't die you'll be saved on our computer and maybe at some point in the future the technology will exist to get you off of the holodeck okay? which it does by Voyager it does by Voyager but and this is a thing that like but like this is where I get a bit thing about it is like but they do just leave him like on file. And I can't help but feel like when you report that back to Starfleet, there must be like some research scientist at Starfleet who's like, sorry, you did what? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I get that. Email me that file. I will build a holodeck and we will build a scientific fucking institute around it to just research the fact that you created sentient life yeah. by accident. I think what happens is they sent a report to Starfleet Command and then they got the email and the guy just went... Ah, uh, just file this under created sentient life. <laughs> we'll get round to it in a bit. The computer on board the Enterprise, Mark, is so powerful that it can run a sentient being being as a sub-program, right? <laughs> Does that mean that the the computer is sentient? Also, Troy can, like, detect Moriarty's, like, presence. Yeah. Which is a whole other thing of like, well, then you can read Data's mind, because he's it. it, it mm, there's so many. I mean, it gets in the way of what is like just a fun philosophical. It's a good adventure with a nice philosophical question of like, is this being we've accidentally created, and also, who the template for is literally a lot of people's definition of evil. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, it's like if you were running the supernatural program and you accidentally gave sentience to the Lucifer character, does that character have a right to then leave the holodeck? And it's like, well, maybe. <laughs> have you ever read um, about the real life inspiration for Moriarty? No, I haven't. Right, get, get, check, this guy is your new obsession, right? Because he was mine for about three weeks. So there is a character in. I, I believe, I can't remember, it's been a while, I read a book about him um, called The Napoleon of Crime. But he was this dude, and he, I think he was in America, or maybe he was like an Irish guy and he emigrated to America, I can't quite, or maybe he was English, I can't remember. But his name was Adam Worth. Okay. And he was known as The Napoleon of Crime, because at the time, 
in I, no I, I believe he was from London at the time in London crime gangs were all over the place and everything was terrible and all these disparate sort of Fagin-esque characters were running around like getting kids and getting orphans and getting them to run out and pickpocket and this dude Adam Worth decided now do you know what if we're going to have crime we might as well organise it <laughs> and so he became like the quintessential gentleman criminal Basically, he he got to the point where he was running all of crime in London, and then I believe he went to New York again. It's been a few years, but his thing was like he almost he had like a Batman rule. He was like, "Don't hurt anyone if you don't have to." Okay. And at one point, he gets involved in a love triangle with like another <laughs> Napoleon of crime. <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay. it's he's like it's it's. I, it's the best, along with Harriet Tubman, although I think we have fixed that now, it is the best story that no one knows about that's never been committed to a film. Look him up, yeah. Adam Worth. His his story is phenomenal. But he's the dude who Moriarty is based on. That's amazing. I agree with you, but there is somebody I, I consider being like the, the person it's mental has never been uh, a movie about. Have, have you ever heard of the, the guy who was the last war chief? No. Right, okay. If you're in, there's a Native American tribe and they have a, a, a rank of war chief. Mm. And to become a war chief, you have to um, get close enough to your enemy to touch them without waking them. You need to capture um, one of your enemy. Um, you need to steal one of your enemy's horses. And you need to um, cause, um, let loose some all of your enemy's horses. Is that all like, in one so, day? Like, uh, no, no, you can do this in the course... You have to do this over the course of your lifetime. Right. The last person to achieve this did it in World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Nice. Yeah, and I imagine the rest of his like unit were like, what do you mean you need to steal a horse? Like, it's a thing for my tribe. It's like, oh, no, I'll help you steal a Nazi horse. Yeah. I'm down for that. I just wanted to know why. <laughs> do you think the horses you... won Nazis? Do you think? It, I mean, like, do you think at least some of the horses knew what was going on? This is where we get into they... my problem with dressage, right? Okay, <laughs> which is just right, okay. Right, look, if we're going to give fucking military medals to animals, which I think we should, and I think is right, then yeah. we should give medals to the fucking we have to animals. We them though. That's a problem. They don't wear any but, clothes. Then I think we should get a, the horse should get a medal in the horse events at the Olympics. I think the horse but, should be in a full uniform. <laughs> but here's the thing: if you're going to do that. I want the horse held to the same standards. If you're doing dressage, yeah. your horse and you're in a men's dressage, you must have a male horse, and it must be from the same country. Yeah, right. I I'm think s- if a, if a horse can uh, disassemble and then reassemble an M1 Garand in under thirty seconds, it's not in the fucking army. It gets tossed out of the airborne, which it really you 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 wouldn't really have a lot of um, horses in the airborne paratroopers, would you? Because they don't like planes. <laughs> You say that, but nothing's going to shit you up more. If you're a fucking Nazi, standing watch, you hear a noise, you look up, and you see a horse coming in at full speed, you're not going to have time to shout that in. You're going to be too busy getting over your shock. It's one step down from Ace Rimmer riding a crocodile. <laughs> here's, here's, here's a joke I learned a long time ago that, that, that really makes me laugh, but I, I don't really say it in public anymore, so I'll say it on this podcast. Um, because I'm, I'm genuinely not sure if this is like a horrible, ableist joke or if it's like madly offensive. Um, why don't blind people skydive? <laughs> because it scares the dogs. <laughs> <laughs>
That's a that's a fucking great joke. This is so good. Uh, that's that's either, I can't remember his name. There's a guy on the uh, the open mic circuit in London who's blind who walks on stage with a lead that doesn't have a dog on it. <laughs> it's one of my favourite <laughs> jokes ever. Mark uh, Mark Nicholas. Uh, who's who's uh, I, 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 he's he's got autism, um, and his opener is "Hi, I'm Mark. I have autism, and I couldn't give a fuck about trains." <laughs> <laughs> he said that once, man, and I, I fucking I it, it was one of these it was because I've got a re- if I find something really really suddenly funny, I have quite an explosive laugh, and it's actually I I don't like to do it because you might think oh comedians want big laughs, no they don't want this. If this comes out of nowhere, it's quite distracting for an audience. <laughs> and that was one of the times that it happened. I fucking exploded when he said that. This is Mark, Mark, Mark Nicholas. Just to throw out there, is one of one of my favourite people Top on the on the circuit. He's fucking hilarious. I lo- love him. Love. I hate gigging immediately after him. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, okay. Right. Back to the episode. Paul Dick. I want to. I want to bring up two things. That I feel we need to address, and I want to get one of them out the way beforehand, right. uh, like very early on. I think we've got to call out Moriarty's casual racism. Uh, <laughs> did you catch that? Oh. Um, shortly after he's been sentenced, is it that he's more annoyed that um, uh, he he's less annoyed about Jordy having a computer on his face and more annoyed about the fact that he's black? Well, he specifically refers to uh, he says that dark fellow conjured an arch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw this out there that somebody living in Victorian fucking London would know the term black <laughs> yeah but I think they'd also be far more likely to use a much more offensive term I think he could have just said African fellow would have been more acceptable than dark fellow given his context do you think that Moriarty worries about about being woke I think he's a gentleman thief isn't he I think he'd yeah. I think he would I think he'd be absolutely fine with you thinking he was a murderer, but I think he'd be upset that you'd consider him rude. <laughs> and yeah, I if I um, and racism's a form of stupidity, and he's not stupid. Yeah, if I was to remake Sherlock, the 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 Stephen Moffat show, yes, that the one thing I would do is, well, there'd be a lot of things I would do. <laughs> the, 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 I I would make Moriarty not a murderer. I think it makes him really boring if he's just willing to murder people. It's just yeah. No, he should he shouldn't be willing to kill people. He should he should be doing weird shit for the sake of doing weird shit just to prove that Sherlock can't beat him. See, it, I would have him not willing to kill people, but willing to kill Sherlock. Yeah, and have it like that thing of like we're like I consider myself an adult in a room full of children. And therefore, yeah. it would be right. I would consider it immoral to kill any of these. I consider you another adult, so I have no problem killing you. And my God, I know that whenever I'm in a room with another adult, I'm ready to fucking mob them. <laughs> Especially if I'm in a room full of children. Like, kids, you need to see how this goes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Did you know that, that Moriarty only shows up in two of the original stories for Sherlock? Yeah. 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 It's really good but it's a but it's a really good idea for a character it's just yeah. like it's such a good idea for a character that if you were i don't know a lazy hack of a writer what you would do is end every one of your three part fucking series by going oh maybe moriarty uh and then having to come back and be like but actually no uh and then then you get to the end of your show and you do it again everyone's like 
oh, wait, but, but there's not another episode. And you're like, Ugh. Andrew Thingy is, uh, he, he's in Band of Brothers, he dies. Spoilers. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, Daniel Davis, the actor who plays Moriarty, I checked out his IMDb page because I was curious about something. He is in an episode of Elementary, which is the uh, Johnny Lee Davis Sherlock set in America, which Johnny I also Lee found out. In, uh, Johnny Lee Miller, that's the one, yeah. yeah which I also found out from doing this because obviously they have a gender flipped Watson. They have a yeah. gender flipped Mori- Moriarty. It, it, uh, it, it gets even more um, because Moriarty, spoilers, in the elementary universe is Irene Adler. Yeah, yeah, I spotted yeah. that on the thing. I like that. that. That's a really good idea. I think that's a really clever take on it. Um, but um, uh, yeah, the thing I want to bring up at this, right, right. The reason this kicks off is Pulaski has a bet with Geordie that Data can't solve a mystery that requires like inspiration of original thought. Yeah, and Geordie has this bet with her, so they do this on the thing rather than just going, "Do you want?" a list of all of the times he solved a science-based mystery <laughs> in season one of the show. We can watch the episodes. We're in 10 forward. They're on the computer. Gaynor's <laughs> watching one right now. <laughs> also, something else we need to bring up is Captain Picard's hat. <laughs> so, one thing I love in this episode is when they realise what's going on, Picard's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to have to go to the holodeck. And then, like, Data's like, oh, I'll get changed out of my Sherlock Holmes costume. And Picard quite brilliantly does one of those moments where one line of dialogue is used to justify something just being better where he's like well no actually we don't know what's going on on the holodeck so it'd be best if we go in appropriate period costume so that we don't freak people out which is just because this scene will look better if we're all dressed (laughs) in that but he's got a top hat that's like collapsed and he pops it out by tapping his cane on it Yeah, he had to ask for that specifically from the replicator it's like the replicator's got enough space to do a full size top hat. There's no reason to not do it. Yeah. Because if, like... if, if, <laughs> if there's a guy out there that doesn't give a fuck about theatrics, it's Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> My argument would be if there's a guy out there who wouldn't give a fuck about theatrics in that specific moment, it's Picard. There's a, a, a murderous holographic force has seized control of. Because, oh yeah, at, at this point. Um, Moriarty has routed control of the Enterprise through to the holodeck and he's controlling it with like a steampunk contraption he's made with levers. It's fucking delightful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also he's kidnapped Dr. Pulaski. Yeah, and stuffed her with crumpets. And the, the scene, the, the, the kind of... Uh, he stuffed her with crumpets, right? Um, the, the conference room scene where... Because we, 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 we don't get to see... Geordie and Data presenting this to Picard, we come in sort of in media res on that scene yeah. where Picard's like, so what you're saying is that the holodeck once again has become murderous but this time yeah. also self-aware and has kidnapped <laughs> Dr. Pulaski and my, I, it, it, it's, it's when he goes mad, which yeah. to me um, it, whenever Picard swears in French, what that means is this just raises further questions. <laughs> yeah, because the yeah, holodeck isn't whole... that big. The holodeck's like I don't know, like a like a. I'm I'm terrible at distance, right? So I'm gonna just guess it. The holodeck is a hundred and ninety meters by four hundred meters, right? It's it, yeah. uh, I, I, I have no. It could be two meters by four. I have no idea, right? But the holodeck, once you are inside of it, obviously it operates where 
you could like you could walk inside two steps and you would just continue walking forever you would never get any closer to the to the back wall yeah it's like a force filled treadmill situation yeah, it's yeah. Like force field. and Pulaski is in that tiny room. She is there, spatially, but they cannot get to her because Moriarty has control of the holodeck. So Jordy suggests <laughs> um, <laughs> that they basically do um, a big flush, um, a particle beam uh, yep. that, that will completely erase everything inside the holodeck, to which Picard then says, and what will that do to Pulaski? To which he replies, oh, a particle beam will strip human flesh. If I had directed this episode, I would have had a pause, <laughs> a beat of silence, cut cut to two other reactions, and then back to Jordy who goes, Oh, you want her alive <laughs> Um Can can I, I I wanna point something out that made me cry with laughter during this episode. Did you catch when um, uh, Picard asks the computer uh, if Pulaski is okay. Uh, no. How the computer described Pulaski's vital signs. Um, when asked, um, is um, is Pulaski alive? The computer responds that Pulaski's vital signs are strong and stable. Oh, I did catch that. Yeah. <laughs> Laura called and- it out. Yeah. Pulaski is Space Theresa May. Uh, yep. I will stand by that. And I feel the same way about... And like, I, I, I know there's some people in the UK right now who are going, oh, Theresa May wasn't that bad. That's just compared to fucking Boris, right? <laughs> she Comparing her to a literal criminal fascist is not an acceptable fucking <laughs> metric. She's still fucking awful. And, a big, and it makes sense, because, you know, Theresa May was a big daft racist. So yeah. I imagine May's a turf. Uh, <laughs> um, here's my question. So, okay. Obviously, the holodeck now has a sign. <laughs> do not accidentally create sentience. Yeah. What else do you think the holodeck sign says on it? Like, because I, because I imagine it would just be careful what you wish for. Because, <laughs> yeah. because the computer on the Enterprise is basically the bad guy from the Wishmaster series of horror movies. Yeah, like, like I, when, I imagine when it says, did the computer on the Enterprise create... become a genie? Yeah, don't create sentient life, and then underneath in brackets, Barkley, this means you. Yeah, uh, we've we've not gotten the Barkley yet, but no. yeah, it's it's a fucking mindfuck that like it's one word in a sentence that like I I because like surely the computer should have just gone. I don't have the capacity to yeah. create a data. But that's not an episode. That's not as good an episode. So, and, and I get that. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I want to say. Um, one thing that Picard is so Picard gets told by Data that Moriarty's probably turned off the mortality failsafes, and then later on they go into the um, they go into the um, holodeck, and it, because it's a really realistic portrayal of London, Picard is immediately involved in a knife crime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then next to the next to the doorway, that data pulls a string and a poisonous snake falls down. The other, the second most common London crime. Oh, two times this week, mate. Two times. (laughs) Snake. They call it snake dropping. (laughs) So, some some areas are no go if you're not a snake in London. Uh, 
And that snake's got to be Muslim. Uh, but, no, but when they get on board, like they, that happens and they stop and like Data takes the knife off him because he's a big, strong robot man. And um, Picard's like, oh, it looks the mortality fail-safes have been turned off. We could be in real danger here. It's like, you are literally explaining to Data what Data told you two scenes ago. <laughs> you fucking mansplaining prick. Also, uh, um, oh, sorry, so... Sorry, human-splaining, I guess. Yeah, I, as... I, as as a man who fancies himself a storyteller, <laughs> I I recognise that Star Trek: The Next Generation, like we don't get to see everything, like we get to come in on snapshots of that um, of that universe, right? We get to see interesting yeah. stories, but there are things that happen out out with it. And in the conference room, uh, where I can't remember if it's Geordi or Data, or maybe it's even Picard who says, "Well, I guess that means that." Moriarty's turned off the mortality fail-safes and the fact that no other character turns around and goes the what? (laughs) (laughs) means that this is a regular problem (laughs) because one one thing I love about the holodex is like it's established in in the universe that this is new tech yeah so this is like imagine if like when the PlayStation 1 came out and you invited your mates over and you're like showing them like like oh look look this is like Tomb Raider it's all full 3D isn't it amazing look at the T Rex isn't that cool and then you have to casually turn around and go oh do be careful it might kill you <laughs> yeah imagine if it, 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 you know you were like I've imported this uh, dual shock controller uh, from Japan uh, and if anyone doesn't know the dual shock controller is one of the first controllers that had the vibrate function and they had it in yeah. Japan first when it was compatible with like Resident Evil Two and things. Um, imagine if uh, you went around your friend's house in 1996 <laughs> and you went, oh, I've just imported this from Japan. Uh, oh, watch out, it might stab you. <laughs> no, but because uh, but, uh, the thing is, you, you, your comeback to that can't be, I'm sure they'll fix this by the time of the PlayStation 2. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing is as well, I I um I, I gotta is like stabbing I can understand, but it'd be like if somebody handed it to you and went, "Be careful with that; it could drown you." Right? <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I need to bring this up: the holodecks, the holodecks in Star Trek, are the only bit of technology, only reoccurring thing that completely undermines the socialist point of Star Trek, because the only person in all of Star Trek, the only consistently well-working holodeck, is the one at Quarks. Because Quark has a financial incentive to not have a holodeck murder his customers. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalism sometimes, sometimes is a better option. Yeah. Whereas, like, this is just like, oh, it killed Steve. Oh, tell him it was the Klingons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're not wrong. It was Klingon porn that he was doing. <laughs> turned off the, t- turned turned off the fucking pelvis failsafe. Okay. Here's here's another question I have. Like, when when they when the holodeck creates Moriarty, like, because we know Data says, Geordi uh, says the sentence, which we as viewers go, oh dear, because there's a musical sting, yeah. and then it cuts to the the wharf on the bridge. And he says there was a power surge to the holodecks, but it's over now. So I only needed that power surge to create sentient life. Oh, not to I, maintain it. I really like that bit because I wrote down here. Um, I like Worf checking the computer as if he got a temperature warning from his GPU. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, dear. All right. Oh, oh that's, that's worrying. 
Better, um, close, better so, close these tabs. Smash however, that indicates that having Moriarty running on the holodeck isn't a constant power drain. Yeah. So why not, like, leave him on? <laughs> Just be like, right, here's yeah. the deal. We can't use holodeck free anymore. But Moriarty, we're going to allow you complete access to all of the, like, all of the of Starfleet's databanks, and see if you can work out how to get off the holodeck. Because if you can, that's one of the most useful bits of technology ever created. Yeah. I don't like like I'm I'm like I know that at the moment the Federation is in, at peace, but the Dominion War is coming up, right? And it would be fucking nice if that could be entirely fought by holograms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, and why doesn't like, like, I'm sure that Picard would love to have Sun Tzu to ask for advice yeah or Leonardo da Vinci like anyone you can do, pop right, out here's any my fucking... question do you think right. that when, when Picard um, <laughs> when he when he creates a sentient version of Sun Tzu that he can ask for advice right now Picard doesn't as far as we're aware doesn't speak Chinese so he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna give him He's going to make him speak English, which Sun Tzu presumably never did, right? What accent does he give him? So here's my thing. I reckon, is there an option for racist Chinese? So, so here's my thing. I reckon that that sort of thing would be decided by the computer, and I reckon the computer's been. If I was programming the computer to create holographic life forms for like any computer system, and I don't want it to appear racist, I would have like accent generation on kind of random like unless the character so like it's like playing D&D unless a character has a specific reason for being from somewhere you mix it up a bit you change it up and change it around which means there's a non-zero chance that it would be Brummy yeah <laughs> uh, if uh, <laughs> just well West Country well uh, if uh, you know uh, if a fellow knows himself and his enemy you shouldn't fear the uh, result of a thousand battles <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like, it's 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 one. Of, like I say, I'm genuinely the opinion that Moriarty should be like there should be a Moriarty Institute on Earth where there's like a holodeck and they just yeah. build around it and study. We created fucking sentient life by accident. It's fucking fascinating. And the thing is, right? He he exists purely as data, not the character data, but the concept yeah. of data. He exists within the Enterprise's. Memory banks, and they're not doing anything. They could, they could, yeah. they could, they could email Moriarty, <laughs> yeah, back to Starfleet base and be like, do, do, "What do you think the subject line of, of that email would be?" Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's this is this runs into the uh, this hope, episode runs into dear the Admiral, problem. I hope this finds you well. <laughs> this is a thing where it's like this is a thing I, I have regularly with like. Um, uh, like any time there's a, a Starfleet uh, Star Trek thing where it's like, oh, we accidentally created life, and if like it runs into the problem that I always have, which is like, why not just go into like the holodeck next door and go <laughs> like fire it up and have like um, and have Geordie just like lead into the computer and go, uh, computer, create a version of Batman that can defeat the Moriarty we've got running in the other holodeck and then transfer that in there, please. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, that tells me that you've never read the classic Sun Tzu story 
uh, the lady who swallowed the fly. <laughs> you see, that's why you create a Batman. Because by definition, the Batman can't become murderous. It ceases to be a Batman at that point. <sighs> I don't know about that, man. I... I... <laughs> Are you, okay, sorry, let me... I'm just going to I'm gonna specify... press Worf up on, in, in Victorian clothing and send him in to solve that problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, Worf doesn't even go on the bridge. They just dress him up. Do you reckon <laughs> that was Michael Dorn being like, oh... Because those aren't special costumes. Those are from the, the props department of yeah. fucking Paramount. Like, they just went down to wardrobe and went, Sherlock Holmes, and they got 90 of them. They uh, went down to Ensign Jensen. <laughs> Who knocked up some costumes? That's that's why that's why Picard got the heart that popped out because him and Ensign Jensen are on good terms, and Jensen knew Picard's going to want a pop out hat. So, Ensign Jensen, <laughs> I require a hat, and then Jensen's like, "I've got you, Squire. You don't. I've I've got the exact right hat for you." The fact that Jensen can do those small key details is yeah. how he keeps everyone on side. Yeah, nobody's exactly. getting angry with Jensen over anything if he does stuff like that. Should we listen, should we address the, the genuine question about this episode that we don't think we've actually discussed yet? Which is, is he alive? Yes. In your opinion? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. 100%. I yeah, if he might just be ones and zeros, but at the end of the day, my brain's just a bunch of electrical impulses running on a biological computer. So, yeah. And again, the tagline. The blog line, no, no, it's neither of those things. The intro line for this show is to seek out new life and new civilization. Yeah, and, yeah, that, and that is new life. You've created yeah. life. This is an interesting. Congratulations, like John this is... D. You fucking idiot. <laughs> it's the only time you're going to be a parent. Uh, <laughs> the I like the facts as well that like this is an interesting enough idea that like somebody like sat at like uh, somebody on board like the writing crew was like filed this away. I was like, this is an interesting enough idea that we could do like a fucking seven season arc with a character on this. It fucking unfortunately it'll be in Voyager, which no one cares about. <laughs> which we are gonna uh, when we eventually get to. I want the first episode that we should just get Josh Weller on to defend the fact that he thinks Voyager is the best one. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to be like, how? How do you think that? Why are you so wrong? <laughs> uh, yep. Um. I I did like that um, Moriarty was getting very Roy Batty towards the end. Oh yeah, his speech yeah. was very Blade Runner esque. Yeah, that's yeah. another like fucking thank God Data wasn't like a fucking fan of the fucking Blade Runner. Yeah, <laughs> like let's play Blade Runner. Oh no, we've accidentally given sentience to Roy Batty. <laughs> yeah. Do you like do? How long do you think um, after this? Did do you think Picard put a moratorium on? holodeck use like how long after the holodeck has tried to murder anyone does Picard say look can we lay off the holodeck for 24 hours I think that you get into an interest like I would say that like because obviously you have to book your slot I would argue that like this is holodeck free this is happening on Mm. now my assumption is uh, there are four holodecks yeah, based on the grounds that I assume the Enterprise is symmetrical. Yeah, I believe uh, so. Yeah, so I assume if there's a three, there must be a, a four because there's a one and a two. Yeah, I reckon that whilst this was going on, people were just using the other because at no point do we go to Yellow Alert again. Another episode where Yellow Alert should be employed. Warning: We've accidentally 
we've we've accidentally let control of the Enterprise slip into the hands of one of the great literary villains. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like, because this is like you could bring back ancient, you could bring back historical characters. Like, you can bring like this is a the discovery of this technology allows you if you've got a decent enough like read on someone's sort of like personality file, like especially if it's somebody who's live post fucking holodeck. Like, you can download all of like your personal files and every. I mean, there's a Black Mirror about this. Mm. Um, with, with uh, I think Hayley Atwell in it, it's really Aye. good. But yeah, but um, yeah, you do reach a point where it's like you can bring any like no, there is no death anymore. Like you can keep this. It's 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 a really troubling area. They could have really extended the uh, Tasha Yar's uh, funeral <laughs> by just having her come around and saying hello to everyone. We've we we've spoken off podcast, me and you, Mark, about our discomfort with the digital resurrection of Harold Ramis for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. Now, if Disney had this holodeck technology, they could just make a new Harold Ramis and, like, lock him in a holodeck forever with a Bill Murray he doesn't get on with. <laughs> Say, make films, or we'll turn the holodeck off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I enjoy your pronunciation of Harold Ramis. <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on there. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is this is. Look, we're all fucked. There's very little we can do about it because no one's. Yeah. Look, there's too many people on this planet, and we need to get rid of at least half of them. And I'm not going to step up. <laughs> Here's the deal: if you're on the list of people who have to go, we will. Make a holographic version of you that will save on a computer file and will definitely, definitely get to work on making sure that you can leave the holodeck at some point in the future. By that, I mean forget about you until Geordie accidentally reactivates you in like five seasons' time so yeah. we can do it again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when, when they, when they realise that the, the, the Sherlock Holmes uh, rights holders maybe aren't as... Uh... Aren't as aren't as righteous as they think because I th- this is something I was going to get into earlier. Like if I if I create a timeless character, if my fucking grandchildren think that they're seeing Penny one from that, they can fuck off. <laughs> do your own thing. No, yeah, I'll do a J. If I do something like that, I'll do a J. M. Barry and just give the rights in perpetuity to Great Ormond Street. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Thanks for. Yeah, I think Thanks. that's everything we can say about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure Thanks. that I'm sure that the holodeck will try to murder someone at some point again this season. Yeah, and we'll and hopefully we'll, it'll be hopefully it'll be Pulaski. Yeah, hopefully it'll succeed this time. <laughs> All right, well, bye. Right, bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>